This is the Idea Time Show, Idea Time Show with Dr. Joe North, helping facilitators expand their creativity, confidence, and impact through the power of innovation in action. Gain confidence as a facilitator, confidence with the technology, and confidence with your content and event design. Tune in every week for practical tips, strategies and interviews that will accelerate your personal and business success. And now, here's your host, Dr. Joe North. A big welcome to this week's show. I'm super excited because this week I'm joined by Andy Jenkins, who's co-founder of My Leadership Strengths. Now, My Leadership Strengths enables busy managers to prioritise their own development and make learning happen at work. They combine business design with organizational psychology expertise. And Andy's built leadership capability in small to medium-sized businesses, not-for-profit, public and private sectors in the UK and Australia. He loves working with individuals and organizations, setting up for growth, navigating unfamiliar organizational challenges and public sector transformation. So we're in for a real treat today as we get stuck into innovation with Andy. And having worked with Andy before, he's a, a qualified strengths practitioner and coach. He's a chartered member of the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development. And he is a curious, insightful, practical, intelligent, fun and open. I really love working with Andy. So as I say, we're in for a treat today and do keep listening because Andy has a free self-assessment so that you can discover more about your own leadership strengths and we'll share that link with you later in the show. So a great show ahead all about leadership strengths and how to use them to improve your innovation. So a big welcome Andy, it's really good to have you on the show. Thank you, what a great introduction. Well, I hope I got all of that right. I'm sure you'll let me know if I didn't. Be looking forward to hearing about the self-assessment and what it does. Before we go into that, because I know you're offering that as a free resource for everyone listening, which will be wonderful. We've got people listening from all over the world. So it'd be a great resource to do that. But can you tell us a bit about who you are, what you do and why you choose to do it? Yeah, sure. So I've been working in the field of leadership and organisation development for about 20 years or so now. I'm based in in Leeds in the UK, but I've also spent many years working in Australia. And I think over that time, I've been learning a lot about how organisations work. And for me, just all of the different issues and and kind of problems and opportunities come from people, really, don't they? They're they're the one resource you've got in your organisation that you can really increase the value of. So for me, that's a massive kind of opportunity and untapped resource that I think some organisations can struggle with knowing how best to do that. That's at the heart of what I love to do, whether it's solving problems on a kind of individual kind of level through coaching work, whether it's on a a team level or maybe on an organisational level. There's always lots of interesting challenges doing what I do, which is why I love to do it. And it's really relevant for lots of different organisations in different sectors, as you've introduced. Yeah, I I really agree with you that the people in organisations are often an untapped resource. And particularly for, for me in innovation from the perspective of ideas, because when you go to the root cause of what makes an organization successful or not, it all comes down to ideas and the quality of those ideas and how well those ideas are executed. And ideas, of course, come from people. And it's all about having the right culture and openness and the psychological safety present so that people can feel that they can actually step up and share those ideas 
And, you know, I think that's a really important thing for leaders as well, isn't it? That, that they create that environment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, that, that kind of psychological safety, I think, is at the heart of a lot of leadership and culture work, really. And it's a great term that's really been researched very well over the last kind of 15, 20 years or so. But it's not necessarily an easy thing to achieve because you can think that you've got a bit of psychological safety. You're comfortable to share ideas and come up with new things. But it doesn't mean that everybody else is. And as a leader or even as a team member, you've actually got to put yourself out there and and understand where other people are at to enable them to to be at their best and come up with those ideas. Definitely. And psychological safety, I think, is a real precursor for innovation. But what does innovation mean to you? How would you define innovation? I don't know what the textbook definition is, but my working kind of thinking on this is, It's about having the courage to pursue something new or something different in the knowledge that it may not work. I love that. I mean, there are all sorts of textbook definitions, aren't there? And some of them are great. You know, if you can get the best from each one, that would be super too. But I think, yeah, innovation is about being creative purposefully, isn't it? And you're so right about being happy to fail. And I sort of like to see failure as learning instead of failure. And there's a leadership role in actually people feeling safe about failing as well and turning that failure into learning, I think. So you're really innovative yourself, aren't you? I know that you're super entrepreneurial and you've developed some great products and services and you're helping all sorts of leaders develop themselves and their teams. So can you talk to us about the innovation that you're doing in your own business? Yeah, I mean, just on the innovation, it's interesting to reflect on that, first of all, I think, because after working in corporate organisations for many years and then working for other people, it's only relatively recently I started working for myself. And I think there's an innovation journey that's part of that, really. When I reflect back to what was the first thing I did that was either innovative or entrepreneurial, when I was 13, I had a paper round and I did the Sunday papers. So just, you know, once a week with a really heavy bag, it was nearly Christmas time. And I remember finishing my paper round, writing all cards out to all my customers, because obviously I knew all their addresses, putting my Santa hat on and going out and knocking on the door and giving them the Christmas card. Because I realised that really in the morning, nobody's going to get out of bed and give you a tip. But if you're at their door, they are going to do that. I, I don't remember feeling like that was an innovation. But when I reflect back on it now, I'm like, actually, I did something different there. And I didn't know if it was going to work or not. But I just kind of tried it. And so I think that's kind of drawing on your resources of when have you done things a bit differently and you might not necessarily see it as an innovation in itself because it's just something that you did but actually you've got to tap into those sources of where you try things out and it's worked for you because you've got to back yourself when you when you're innovating and do things differently and take an appropriate level of calculated risk as well because even though you were young and it was a paper round there was the risk of people slamming the door in your face and telling you where to go. But you've got to deal with that, that doubt and insecurity you might have as well, haven't you? And Which is interesting because when you're starting to do things differently later in life, you've got to pay your mortgage. You know, you've got other people that might be relying on you. You know, you've got customers who they want the innovation, but they don't want the risk that goes with it necessarily. So there's something in there, isn't there, about how do you make sure that you, you kind of test it out and you're really you're not just backing yourself, but you've got a bit of kind of now or a bit of evidence to suggest that what you're going to do is going to work, but also being comfortable that if you have not hit quite the mark, you're going to learn something from it and you can still do something. Definitely. And I think there's that sort of behavioural psychology theme of loss aversion as well. So we worry about the risk of losing something we've got rather than thinking ahead about what we could get 
if we let what we've got go a little bit, if that makes sense. It's about creating a new future, isn't it? But in order to create a new future and have a different vision or an evolved vision, something that we've been doing, you know, so far has got to go and needs to change to make way for that. Well, definitely. If I just think about just over a year ago now, and we were in July 21 now, so back at the start of kind of COVID pandemic, I'd done a bit of innovation, created a product, a leadership 360 feedback tool. I'd accredited some people to use it in the NHS because I spot the opportunity to support kind of busy managers, you know, with some self-reflection and some action-oriented development stuff. But it would have been easy to kind of call it quits and stop there because, you know, it wasn't the right time to do something different given the pandemic and really difficult accessing potential customers in that context. But I think then it's taking stock and finding out what is the opportunity. And that was when I I did some further innovation rather than saying, well, I've got what I've got and let's just stick with that for now and let's see what happens. You know, trying to be a bit bold, getting a little bit of grant funding, uh, building my own assessment and survey tool platform. Didn't really know if it's going to work. And certainly we've learned a lot since we built it and launched it. But, you know, it's trying to find those gaps in the market and being willing to do something a bit different and seeing what happens. Yeah, because we're all in business to solve somebody's problems somewhere. And, you know, as customers needs change their problems change and we need to react and respond appropriately and hopefully uh, look ahead and see what's coming as far as we can as well so you you've innovated with my leadership strength so tell us a bit more about what that is and also about how you discovered strengths-based leadership why it's important and especially in the context of leading innovation yeah great so yeah so in terms of my leadership strengths as you intro at the start, we're all about making learning happen at work. And I guess one of the first things you need to do when it comes to learning at work, particularly around leadership, is really understand what your priorities are. There's lots of great research on strengths, which we'll talk about in a moment. But I think part of the challenge of learning and playing to strengths is recognising what those things are. There's, there's a whole range of brilliant learning kind of tools and resources out there on the internet, many brilliant things for free. But actually, it's getting focused on what's the particular challenge, what's the particular objective you want to focus in on from a strengths point of view, what are the particular things that are kind of unique to you that you want to really hone in on, because just learning loads and loads of stuff about everything isn't necessarily going to help you to be really good and be successful, because there's something about narrowing it down and understanding what's unique about you and also what's unique about the challenges that you're facing in your business right now. That's the area to focus on for your learning. So the the tool that we've developed is called QPT, Quick Prioritization Tool. We recognize managers are busy. They want a simple survey that gives them a tailored report, which our tool does, which really helps them to understand, you know, where do I get started thinking about my strengths? But also if I've got some gaps as well, how do I start to develop some of those things on the job? because we know that learning on the job is not a really simple and effective way of making progress. Yeah, I think you're right about people being busy and they want something really quick and directional and effective, which the QPT self-assessment is for sure. It's a, it's a really great tool. I had a great example of an NHS consultant who was using the tool and she told me that she was really busy not having time to do it, but then she put the kettle on and she got a phone out, she completed the survey in only a few minutes and got her report by the time it took her to make a cup of tea you know and the report was really valuable for her so that's the kind of proof of concept around actually is it going to get you something that's meaningful you know a really short amount of time so what is it exactly that it would help us to learn about our leadership strengths so what are the different strengths and how does knowing those strengths actually help us 
and and also sort of a third bit sorry three questions in one um (laughs) (laughs) if we're not as strong in some areas how do we know which ones we need to do something about and which ones we don't okay so when we think about strengths and strengths-based leadership so i've developed a model of leadership which really is a straightforward way of defining what some of the key capabilities for leaders under four categories leading self leading others leading organization and leading results Some of those things include enabling, developing others, decision-making and being customer-centric. So all of those things are relevant for many leaders. I guess the the thing that QPT helps you to do is to prioritise actually what's really important for you right now because your leadership development needs, I think, do vary not just based on on you and your style, but also, you know, what's the context of your organisation if you're really focusing on certain objectives, whether it's being customer-centric or whether it's reducing cost or whether it's being more innovative, there'll be a different focus for you. But also, as a leader, you've got different team members and different peers to draw on. And so actually being able to tap into some of those things is also quite important. So there are some areas you might not feel like you're really strong in, but you might not necessarily need to invest loads of time and effort in being really good at those if you've got others around you that actually excel in those areas. So that's the kind of premise around strength-based leadership. It's really about not just tapping into the things that are really necessary and really energizing and and real strengths for you, but also understanding and tapping into the strengths of others. When I'm working with people, they'll say, oh, I've done lots of these questionnaire things or quizzes before. And what would you say to someone? Why should someone do, you know, they can do, by the way, if you're listening and you're thinking, well, why should I do the QPT self-assessment? I've done lots of these questionnaires and things before. Uh, Firstly, you can do it in less time than it takes a kettle to boil. Secondly, Andy's offering it completely free of charge. But thirdly, you can get some great insights. So what can you get from this, Andy, that you can't get from other self-assessment tools? Because this one's a really special one, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, each tool, you know, has been built to do certain things. And so, you know, there's lots of different kind of tools out there that do try and do different things. For us, the unique part of it is the prioritization piece. So it's working on the premise that not all of the areas are going to be equally critical for you right now. So it gives you a good kind of moment in time, chance to reflect on and think about actually where do we need to focus right now? That might change over time and you can do it again. It's not trying to assess your kind of personality and say, this is your style and, uh, you know, how do you compensate for that, etc. So it's a bit of a moment in time tool, which I think is really important because we know how often things change. Context changes, you know, a lot, the pace of change, that VUCA environment at work, it is a real issue. If you think about how hybrid working is or isn't happening and the variations you've got on that, there's lots to think about as a leader. So you need to be really clear about where to focus your, your valuable time. So that's the thing that the QPT really helps people to, to focus on. And I think the second part allied to that is also gives you some practical coaching questions and exercises to really get, get started with that, that learning in the workplace bit, uh, making learning happen at work. Yeah, I'm quite sceptical of a lot of personality inventories, even the ones that are recognised as being very good ones. I think there is an old-fashioned view of personality that it's something that's very fixed, that we're born with and doesn't change over time. I think, yes, there's an element of that that's in our DNA. In fact, DNA research suggests that there are certain elements of personality that we might inherit. But actually, environmental factors, habit generation, learning from others has a big role to play in how we choose to see the world and how we choose to interact with it. And I think personality can be a lot more plastic. And we talk about the brain being plastic, but I think personality can be a lot more plastic 
than we give it credit for as well. What people sort of describe as just being them or it's how I am is, is often an ingrained habit, just that they can't be bothered to change or they've no wish to do anything about sometimes. And so on that point, I mean, the, the tool, we've not we've not set out to design a psychometric. It's not it's not going to compare and contrast you to loads of the people that have done it. Uh, but I guess that's not, that's not quite the point. There are other tools that can do that if you want that. But I think the important thing there being actually, it's understanding the context and the people around you and, and what's important for you is the kind of the focus of it because it's about what you do with the tool that's the important thing isn't it and generally speaking what's in a report is not going to change much for you it's that it's the kind of reflection process and maybe the dialogue you have with other people that's that's going to start to move things forward for you so having a focus on that the practical element of it is i would say you know for our tool anyway probably more important than the psychometric and is it trying to fit you in a box kind of thing yeah and i think there, there's so many benefits as well to understanding your own strengths and strengths-based leadership. I mean, based on the research I've seen, and you're more expert than this than, than I am, but lots of well-being benefits, lots of engagement, also around emotional intelligence, communication and benefits for the people around you. So what do you see to be the biggest transformations when people have actually identified their leadership strengths? And then they go on and do something with that. What sort of transformations do you see, particularly in an innovation context? Well, I think there's probably two things. I mean, f- first of all, it's changing the mindset a bit for people doing this when we do debriefs is actually stop worrying about trying to compensate for weaknesses and gaps, really focusing on the things that are unique to you or the combinations of strengths that are really powerful that you can draw on. Often we focus our development time and effort and energy on trying to address gaps and kind of bring more things into our skill set. And actually, are you really making best use of the things you've already got? Um, and I think that's probably a really important learning point for people. I've been in organisations and I've had development plans many years and I've had some similar things on those plans and they haven't really moved too much, even though I've focused on them. But actually getting out of that mindset and thinking about the second part of that key learning, which is recognising that there are others around me that can do a brilliant job of the things that I don't necessarily enjoy too much or I'm not energized by. And I think that for me is a real eye-opener when it comes to innovation, because recognizing that leadership is a social undertaking, it's not a kind of solo game, it's a team sport. And actually how you can bring in other players, that's where you get ideas and innovation, I think, from lots of different perspectives and valuing the input and expertise of others. I completely agree. And I think there's something for some reason embedded in our system, in our way of working, which is all seems to be designed to create general mediocrity of everybody (laughs) rather than superstars in a load of different really important areas. And I think that is included at school as well. You know, it's about bringing yeah. bringing up the grades. And you use a great example. I know in one of your sessions that I've been in, you've used a great example of the report card. So I'd love to hear a bit about, just share a bit about that, if you would. Sure, yeah. This is Marcus Buckingham's kind of famous TED Talk from a few years ago, but it's a really nice example where he has the report card of a school pupil and he's got four subjects. You've got a grade A in something, you've got a couple of Cs and you've got an E, I think it is, or an F, so a really low grade. And the question that he poses his audience is, 
which one of these four subjects do you focus your, your development time and effort? And I think something like three quarters of his audience group said you focus on the lowest grade. In this case, I think it was algebra grade F. And you can kind of see how that kind of makes sense because you want to address that so it doesn't become a major problem. But what you miss out by doing that and only focusing on that is actually what you could do with the A grade, how, how you could nurture and grow that into a real talent. So I think it's being able to move away from the kind of cover all bases need to be good at everything and some good research around this but what you end up with if you try and be good at everything is the bland leading the bland you know it's a, it's a really short little succinct thing but I think there's something in there isn't there about a bit of mediocrity particularly Zenger and Faultman show that actually having no weaknesses is not a precursor for high performance actually uh, in Buckingham's kind of words uh, the best people are spiky what are those one yeah. or two things that actually are your hallmarks those are the things to, to really understand and nurture yeah, how we reward people and recognise people matters as well, because if somebody's getting an A, I think in the exam system now you can get A stars and things, but let's say the highest grade available is an A, then there isn't really an incentive to go above and beyond that, is there? You've topped out within the exam system or within the grading system. And that's really important that we do reward people at work when we're innovating for, for really going above and beyond know what's just you know above average or very very good um how can we encourage people to be stellar so that's something to consider it's a really good point joe so uh, the other thing that's that's interesting i guess just generally about the world of work is that many organizations for many years now have been doing engagement surveys and it's pretty well known now that actually engagement workforces aren't generally very highly engaged and that that hasn't really shifted that much over quite a long period of time so there's obviously something that's not quite working there despite lots of effort, I think, by organisations to really try and raise engagement. And I think partly that is because of some of the old ways of thinking about performance appraisal and, and gradings, which is actually you need to get enough to kind of get to the middle and, and you don't want to be at the bottom of the list and you might have to work really hard to get to the top. But even if you do, there's maybe only a certain number of percentages of people that can be at the top there. And, and that doesn't really drive great behaviour in terms of, well, I kind of play it safe. I'll cover all bases, you know, to a decent standard, but not anything too outstanding. And it's not necessarily a great way of encouraging innovation, I would say. It's not. And when you were talking about the the grading and investing more time where the grades are lowest, mm. if that were money, and if people say, look, you've been spending all this money, you've got these projects here, uh, you've got this project at the top, which, really, you know, you've been investing the same amount of money and it's performing really well. And you've got the project at the bottom where you've been investing the same amount of money and it's performing really badly. You wouldn't throw more money at the project that's giving you the lowest return on investment or even losing your money, would you? You would actually put the money in the one that's generating the highest return. And so it is thinking about this idea of investing where the opportunity is and where the potential is, not just where the gap is. And I think they're two very different things. So one of my kind of pet hates is people use the term weakness and development area as one and the same thing. And I think they're, you know, really quite different. You know, a weakness is something that is a gap, but you need to think about what impact it has before you charge down the route of always trying to address it and improve it, because actually it might not have much of an impact or it might be that other people are better at it. And your focus can be on playing more to your strengths, but also tapping into somebody who's got complementary kind of strengths or can compensate for some of your weaknesses. Yeah, I think where this comes from is that we're all too 
polite and we faff about and instead of saying there's a weakness there there's a glaring gap we don't want to use the word weakness so there we use the softer term of development area and a development area is something that you need to develop but you're right by definition we might not want to develop a weakness it can stay a weakness as long as it doesn't do anybody else any harm or or harm us in what we're trying to do and and the development area could be strength yeah you know I'm all for I think you're the same but all for straight talking really and you know doing that with compassion and respect and and all of those good things but um, just sometimes you know the language that we use is really important and I think it is about being clear as leaders when we're thinking about ourselves but also when we're working with others we know that clarity is one of the key ingredients of, of high performance. Do you think then that because what we were saying there is actually quite entrepreneurial in that you know, entrepreneurs will recognise where their strengths are. Entrepreneurs will recognise where the strengths in the business are, or successful ones anyway, and really go after that and, and be innovative and focus on the things that are working really well. Do you think that leadership and personal development is just as important for a small to medium-sized business, an entrepreneurial organisation, in the same way as it is for a larger one, a corporate or a, a bigger, more established business? It's a, it's a good question. I think the, the context is a bit different. Uh, you know, in a large organisation, often you've got existing things and you've got well-established kind of routines and processes, products, etc. So the landscape's a bit different, isn't it? In a smaller organisation, perhaps you've got a bit more inbuilt risk-taking and you're kind of, you're a bit more opportunistic, perhaps. But I think what that often leads to in, in small businesses and I, and I do work with small businesses I run a webinar for adventure which supports small businesses in in the West Yorkshire region and certainly there's a lot of emphasis for entrepreneurs on product development routes to market getting the finance etc but often entrepreneurs don't focus in as much on their own leadership capability understanding their strengths even understanding their gaps and I think what that can lead to is it becomes a bit of a barrier to growth. Certainly when you start to take on more staff and you start to have more products and you have to really think about where you've spent your time because you can't be across everything. The danger then is you you go back into what we talked about earlier, which is I'll try and cover all bases and I'll stay across everything and I'll I'll try and make sure that I can be a I can put my HR hat on and my finance hat on and my product hat on and, and all these other hats. And actually wearing too many of those hats is is not a good recipe for I think your mental health but also just you know success as a business I think uh, you're so right and yeah anecdotally as well as my own research into entrepreneurship to be a successful entrepreneur we do also need a healthy dose of self-belief and I think sometimes we think we know more and can do things better than the people around us can sometimes that's true Um, It's not always true. So what I have in mind here is the Joe Harry window blind spot where there are things about ourselves that we don't see, but are very apparent to other people, the people around us. But there's something about, I don't know whether it's the self-belief that is needed to start up a business and grow it and make it successful and create something from nothing. You know, we certainly need a load of self-belief for that. But sometimes it does create this sort of gap in understanding where we think we're the only ones who can do things and we become rubbish at delegating. I mean, what's your view on that? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. Uh, I, I did some research with uh, Leeds Beckett University recently into SMEs and the findings are quite interesting because people did have 
at kind of leadership and people development as part of their priorities. But uh, more specifically, everybody we asked, almost everybody anyway, 90% of people said that really trying to nurture and develop the culture of the organisation was one of their key priorities. So for, for me, that kind of does link to that point really about recognising that you need to pick up on those blind spots and create an environment where people can actually give you a nudge in the right direction and say, by the way, that didn't go as well as you intended or actually that it had some unintended consequences. I think for me, that's really, really important for a smaller organisation or indeed for any organisation that's trying to be innovative because if people can put their head above the parapet, point out things that might not be easy to point out, that's a really healthy sign of being able to listen to new ideas and, uh, and challenge your own thinking. I think that's important, isn't it, to have people around you as as an entrepreneur, as an SME owner. So just if you're listening from outside the UK, SME means small to medium-sized enterprise. And the thing is, when when you're running a small to medium-sized enterprise, there aren't many people who will hold you in check and hold you to account. So it's even more important to really listen to the people who are working with you and in your organisation and make sure that they're open, they're giving you the feedback that that helps keep the organisation and you and your leadership on the right course, I think. Definitely. We we talked a little bit at the start about kind of failure and how that's important. But I mean, I would suggest that actually it's really important to learn from other people's failures and mistakes as well. You you don't always have to learn all those lessons yourself and go, I've done loads of failure. I've learned loads of things. Well, other people might have been on that journey before. Tap into that, some of that experience that can be really valuable and and save yourself a whole heap of of hassle and distress and uh, and problems. So QPT is a self-assessment Um, Is there a way of actually testing our own view of where we are versus how other people perceive us and seeing if there's any differences or similarities? Yeah, I think the the first thing to say about that is that certainly it's it's dialogue that really makes that insight happen. So actually, how do you sit down with your QPT report? Uh, We've got also cards that we use sometimes in our conversations to encourage people to open up uh, that Jahari window and get some perspectives from others through conversations. Often, you know, one of the key steps we put in our QPT is often used is sit down with your boss, with a, with a peer, with your direct report, chat through the report, actually get some of their perspectives on it. Um, but interestingly, we, we have recognised there's a bit of a need and we are now in the process of building in some extra functionality to enable people to ask us a second person to complete the QPT uh, online survey and have a, a companion report so you can really get into the detail of, you know, what are our differences, what are our similarities and how do we really get on the same page and have a good deal of clarity about how we work with each other because I think those, those expectations can be really important to unpick. Yeah, that's great. And for everyone listening, I'll put links to, we've been talking about the Johari window and I'll put links to that model as well in the show notes as well. So you can see uh, what we're referring to. But it's really about closing that blind spot. Building on the idea of the Jari window blind spot as part of a trial we're doing as part of a product development. Um, I've worked with two founders who started a business, which is really fast growing. We asked them both to complete the QPT on each other and we built a report as part of our product development. It was really interesting to note that as two co-founders who worked together a lot, even they had started to make a number of assumptions about what each other's role was and about how clear they are on those things. And they'd had a really successful first year, but what they hadn't done is really written down and tied down what some of their key goals and objectives were and had a really good plan for how they worked towards it. 
it. So getting some real insight from some of those conversations with a little bit of data and some different perspectives, I think can be really, really valuable. So how do you think that listeners could better leverage their own strength to get even greater innovation team working and better innovation outcomes when you're working with other people what can you do to make sure other people really shine and bring their best work yeah so I think we talked already a bit about psychological safety I think you kind of need some of that really but in terms of practical things that you can do as a leader I think it's setting a tone we can first of all start by talking about some of our strengths often the first time we're asked about our strengths is when we're in an interview we never quite know how to answer it do we so there's something there about actually sharing you know come along to this particular innovation workshop you know we've got these particular things we want to focus in on but you know maybe let's start the conversation get ready to share what's one particular strength one thing that they're really energized by or they're really good at that they they bring into this conversation that can be really helpful because you get a read of the room you get to understand actually you've got some brilliant expertise some really valuable perspectives from others in the room and actually how you tap into that you know, it's a brilliant opportunity, isn't it? So I think that that for me is is giving people permission to talk about the strengths. Often we, we're quite reserved, aren't we, in the UK? And also, to be honest, in Australia a little bit as well, we're a bit averse to talking about things that we're really good at. What are the unique things that you're bringing to this particular problem or situation that actually are really valuable? One of the things I do in groups, you know, including groups that don't know each other or haven't met before, and groups that know each other really well is sometimes I'll say can you introduce yourself and share a superpower that you have that you really think will contribute to our innovation challenge today and there's something about using the word superpower and I know it's corny and a bit cheesy it just adds an element of fun I use it in conjunction with the word help or contribute you know when you're using a strength to contribute when you're using a strength to to make a difference to add value it feels very different than just going, you know, I'm really good at this. You're actually saying, actually, here's some things I can do. Here's some things I can bring to the party and help with. So I position it that way. And, you know, it's touch wood. It's always worked really, really well. We have to almost slightly reposition it, don't we, to encourage people to, to share that. There's something interesting about that. Just building on that idea, one thing that can be really helpful, and particularly in a group environment, if you, you don't want to be coming across as, I'm really good at this kind of thing, is just share a story about where you've used a strength or where you've got a particular thing that you're really good at. Often that can be a helpful way of explaining it. And also people they then can put their own interpretation of language on that as well. So if I think about a strengths tool I use quite a lot called Strengths Profile, one of their strengths is, is called um, Centred. Um, and centered is all about being quite calm under pressure. And so I, I use an example of when I did my Paddy Advanced Open Water Scuba Diving qualification and my regulator kind of malfunctioned uh, deep down in, in a quarry in Leicestershire. But it's a nice example of how I was able to kind of get myself out of that situation and, and be really calm and, and, and focused despite being under pressure. So that for me is a nice example. And then people kind of make of that what they want to. And when we ask people about things like that, then we learn so much more about them than if we just ask them what the job, you know, because the typical introduction is what's your name, what's your job title, where do you come from? But you know, let's try and find out a bit more. But sometimes the examples people give are really funny. Like now I'm really organized. Um, I've got, you know, even, even my wedding and my new bathroom is on a spreadsheet. So I'll make sure that we've got loads of structure and organization in the innovation challenge today or whatever it is. I even organize my cat, you know, but we just learn more about each other. You build a relationship, you make connections, you find things in common. Those are all things that I think contribute to 
a really healthy working environment where you've got some trust and confidence in others and you also know you know what amazing things people are bringing to the conversation which builds that psychological safety we were talking about right at the beginning of, yeah. uh, of the conversation and you know and it's great for people to talk about strengths together as well isn't it and, and have team-based conversations around strengths it's a really nice positive way of getting people to open up and connect and think about collective and individual performance definitely the more organizations adapt and change the less it is about just your team in terms of the people that happen to report to the same manager often a team you know we're in multiple teams these days aren't we often spanning organizational boundaries or even the boundary of the organization itself we're in teams of with people of, who are outside the organization, they might be customers or patients, they might be you know, stakeholders of various descriptions. So actually how you can tap into that is, is so important, isn't it? So I'd, I'd love to know what are your strengths that you'd like to share and celebrate? For me particularly, being in a leadership role in organizations, what I learned quite quickly is that I've got real passion for learning and trying things out. I've got a bit of an allergy to bureaucracy, I think, and it kind of goes together. So for me, a real strength is about giving people opportunities to grow and develop. So when I've led teams and had people work for me in various different guises, the kind of proposition that I've got as as a leader is enabling people to grow and develop. So giving people opportunities to push themselves, you know, taking people outside of their comfort zone, but also supporting them in, in coaching in actually exploring their own strengths and really helping them to see the opportunity they've got to find and fulfill their potential so that for me would be a definite strength that's wonderful really good stuff how about you joe i would say a couple of things actually if, if i'm allowed am i allowed a couple you can and that's an interesting point because it's sometimes it's a combination of strengths which is the real superpower yeah and it's that they're sort of inextricably linked i, I suppose so hmm. the first one is that i can imagine a different possibility from what things are like today and articulate that really clearly and formulate plans to make it happen. So I can see where things need to go and I can get there. I can communicate that. I'm really good at sorting out from complexity, you know, a really sharp way forward that works and make progress on that. The other thing which is connected with that is the the strength of being able to bring all sorts of different people together and really leverage the collective wisdom, knowledge, insight, creativity from everybody present to come out with better outcomes and solutions and do that in a really enjoyable way. Yeah, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with having more than one strength. I think for me, it's really interesting to see how they link together. So the example you used there where you talked about the, the strength of being able to you know, see future opportunities, but also to be able to put things in place to get there. You know, for me, those are two really strongly complementary but but two distinct things and sometimes you can find somebody who's got loads of loads of the ideas and they can see the future kind of thing but don't quite know how to get there or or vice versa and so that's a really powerful combination of strengths in itself I'd suggest. Oh thank you thank you it's um when we are able to use our strengths every day every single day in what we do that's a wonderful privilege, I think. I feel very, very lucky and very fortunate to be doing the things that I'm doing because it just it feels good, doesn't it, to be in that place where we're making our difference in, in our way as, as you're making a fantastic difference as well with what you're doing and helping a lot of people. And I'm sure that everyone listening would love to connect with you and 
like to know more and take the the free QPT self-assessment as well. So how should they get in contact, Andy, with you? And how could they take the leadership strengths assessment? Really simple. If you go to myleadershipstrengths.com slash resources, there's a whole range of free resources on there, including the free QPT survey. It's really easy to do on your phone or on your laptop. And if you want to connect with me directly, it's Andy Jenkins MLS uh, on LinkedIn. And you can follow me or connect with me. Andy, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Love talking to you today. Thank you for tuning in to the Idea Time Show. Brought to you by Dr. Joe North. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and access more completely free resources at bigbangpartnership.co.uk forward slash resources. We'll see you next time.